Hey, welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are talking about a new movie. Weird, right? On a movie review podcast that we're talking about movies. But today we're talking about Don't Worry Darling. So, Jen, had you seen The Stepford Wives before? I have not. Have you seen the remake of The Stepford Wives? I have not. Have you read the play A Doll's House by Heinrich Ibsen? No, I have not. Okay. I have seen The Matrix, though. You've seen The Matrix. Spoiler alert, guys. Going from here on, we are going to spoil the crap out of this movie. (laughs) But it was spoiled for me like five minutes in. This is another... This is another Sixth Sense situation for me. Okay. And I've got the notes to prove it. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> so, but you you haven't read anything that this apparently is inspired by. But there's no there's no official like inspired by any of those things. But every, every both of those those things, Separate Wives and Doll's House, are very much at play in this movie. Olivia Wilde, the director, cited Inception and The Truman Show as influences for the film, which I think is weird, but I thought, all right, well, she's the director. I I mean, if that's what inspired her, that's what inspired her, but it very much takes from The Stepford Wives. It very much takes from the Ibsen play. We'll get into it, but why don't you tell us who else is involved besides Olivia Wilde, the director? All right, this was written by Katie Silberman, and it stars Florence Pugh as Alice, Harry Styles as Jack, Chris Pine plays Frank, Olivia Wilde is in here, she plays Bunny, Mm -hmm. Kiki Lane is Margaret, Gemma Chan is... It's Gemma. Is it Gemma? Mm -hmm. I think I said that last time on the other one, too. (laughs) Gemma Chan is Shelley, Nick Crawl plays Dean... Sydney Chandler is Violet. And is that the main part? I think that is. I think that's the main one. Is that everybody? I think so. There's quite a few people. I mean, it's a fairly small cast, but there's still quite a few people in kind of like the main little group of people. So Yeah, yeah. All right, so again, guys, we're going to spoil the crap out of this. And if you don't want to know what the secrets are behind this movie, turn it off, go watch the movie, come back. And listen to the podcast. So here we here we go. It is 1950s America, and Alice and Jack Chambers live in an idyllic neighborhood in a company town, the company town of Victory, California. And every day, the men get up and they go to work at headquarters, and the women stay home and they cook meals for their husbands and they clean and they relax and they have the perfect 1950s. Life. I knew something was wrong within the first few minutes. This yeah. just is not normal. <laughs> My first note is this doesn't take place in the 1950s, does it? And then I thought maybe Victory Project was a cult. And then she started humming. Yeah. And when she started humming, I knew that she was in a simulation. And I don't know why. I just knew. <laughs> Probably from other movies you've seen. Probably, probably. So, basically, the women are not are told not to ask a lot of questions. Don't ask what the men do, and 
you, you know, don't go out by headquarters. You're not allowed out there. You're supposed to stay here. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Margaret, though, has broken the rules and wandered out into the desert, taking her son with her, and she's come back a little changed. She's a little mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. And also her son is gone. Now, some people think he died. Other people, including Margaret, think that the kid was taken by victory as a punishment for breaking the rules. We're going to find out that it's neither, but, you know. They all are there at the behest of Frank, who is the mysterious CEO of Victory. And he has this big party where we kind of get to meet him. And he kind of has, he has his little like go-go rally party, right? Mm -hmm. And it was at that point, that's at the point where I thought, this is some kind of cult, right? There's something going on here where, where it's not all right. And this is where I started thinking of the Stepford Wives. Because in the Stepford Wives, we have a very similar situation where the men take their wives and have them programmed, literally reprogrammed, and turned into robots, and programmed to be like, you know, the perfect wives. Sure. And most, and most of the time they did it out of jealousy, or they did it out of, like, a, a desire to live a more quote-unquote... And I'm using air quotes here, guys. You can't see it because it's not on video, but I'm using air quotes to live a more traditional life. Yeah, this whole... Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. This... You knew something was wrong right off the bat. Everything seems kind of overly perfect, which is really kind of creepy. Yes. It had a very creepy vibe yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. And I knew that these women were being mistreated somehow. Like they were, like you said, being brainwashed. Yeah. Something. Because I'm sorry, this just, this is not reality. <laughs> this is just not realistic whatsoever. Well, the thing is, in the 1950s, this kind of was. Yeah, but were they really that happy or was it just all a front? Oh, this is a front, I'm sure. I, I mean, right, but, uh, you know, they're portraying her as, oh, she's all joyful at home by herself, too. Like, mm, there's no yeah. turmoil or she's not upset. I mean, she's just doing her wifely duties. Yeah, she's and, programmed. She's, yeah. she's, she's literally programmed to do exactly what is expected of her. Now, societally. this whole setting is really pretty. It's got bright colors everything you know just looks nice it's it's it looks neat it's, it's got that nice. 50s pastel to it yeah, yeah yeah it just has a nice visual on the screen it looked pretty yeah i noticed that there were things like pastel colored sinks and stuff like that mm -hmm. and it made me think of the first house i ever bought and in that house i had a pastel blue and a pastel yellow and a pastel purple sink <laughs> lots of pastel bathrooms. colors oh yes all three of the bathrooms had the pastel colors so one day while alice is riding the trolley the trolley that takes them out shopping and like takes them to uh to a weird class. ballet class yeah. that every wife goes to even mm -hmm. the pregnant wife yep and 
the let's see frank his mm-hmm. wife is the teacher of she this. runs it yeah very weird it is very weird and actually the ballet stuff the synchronization of the ballet is all going to come back and it's part of the it's part of that whole like inceptiony thing and so mm-hmm. it's what puts them into the matrix is that that synchronization yeah of that stuff but <laughs> while she is on this trolley she sees a plane crash out in the desert and she tries to convince the trolley guy to go and and see, you know, see if they can help whoever was in the plane. But the trolley guy is like, I'm not allowed to go out there. This is the path I'm supposed to take. I can't, you know, can't do this. Of course, she's talking to a computer program. So the computer program is like, I don't know. I'm supposed to go back and forth up and down this road. You think he was it, a computer know? program? I thought he was just a guy in there doing his thing. They're all computer programs. They're all they're all computer. They're all pe- they're all like simulated people. Right, but they're people in real life, so they still are able there's, to okay. interact and talk and stuff. Okay, but here's the thing: there is. I don't think there's any way that the bus driver has a life outside of he shows up and he runs the trolley back and forth. I think he's what you call an NPC, a non-player character. Huh. That's what I thought because every other guy. In this whole town, they work at the company, and they have wives, and all the wives know each other. But he doesn't know her. Yeah. She doesn't know him. She calls him sir. Yeah. He's an NPC. He's not there okay. to have any other I, life other than... I guess I didn't take it that way, because the, the way he looks at her when she leaves mm-hmm. is kind of a knowing look in there or something. I felt like he had a look of acknowledgement or something that she's not supposed to be doing it and i thought he is going to report her he doesn't though well we don't know that well i mean kind of do the but frank that... knows that she went up there yeah because she goes to headquarters yeah headquarters is monitored headquarters is headquarters it turns is out, it turns out that headquarters is the portal between awake and asleep yeah basically. yeah it is so, i i don't know it could go either way honestly yeah. i mean either way i felt like the look on his face at the end made me feel like he was... You mean the end of their interaction? The in, yeah, the end of their interaction, that yeah. he, he was aware of what was going on, not just, you know, a simulated robot thing. Hmm. I didn't quite take it that way, but I could see how you can get there. So she ends up going out to headquarters and finding... It's like it's like this like building with a bunch of like mirrored windows and... She touches the windows and she starts having these weird hallucinations. And then she wakes up back home. Mm-hmm. When she's there, for, it turns out her husband is trying to make dinner, but he's terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if that was all for show or if he really was terrible at it. But she starts experiencing these kind of weird things. She gets a phone call from Margaret and Margaret says, look, I saw the same thing you saw. So she goes to see her, but when she gets to Margaret's house, Margaret is standing on her roof with, I think she's got a piece of glass in her hand or something. And she cuts her own throat and then jumps off the roof. But when Alice goes to try and help her she's dragged away by men in red suits do you think that the men with red suits are also men that have inserted themselves into this 
universe? Yes, they're workers. Really? Yeah. I thought they were... See, I just took them as the programs. And that could be it. It honestly could be either way. I don't know. We don't really know. They don't tell well, us. Okay, but if we take the Matrix metaphor, Agent Smith is not a human. Agent mm-hmm. Smith is a program. Mm-hmm. And Neo and, and Trinity and, and all those others are humans that insert themselves and have digital versions of themselves within the Matrix. Sure. But the but the 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 people within the construct, everybody else, isn't a human. There's the girl. There's the woman in the red dress, right? That Morpheus that Morpheus shows to Neo mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah. And she's not a real human. She's a a figment of the Matrix. I think these men, and I think the trolley guy. I think anybody that doesn't have like a name, is a figment of. The victory simulation, or whatever the hell they call it, right? It's just a player in the game type of thing. Well, right, not even a player. It's just a what did you call it? An NPC an or NPC, something? Yeah, yeah. non-player yeah. character. Yeah, mm-hmm. that yeah. that could be. That's not how I took it. Okay, but I can absolutely hundred percent see that that would be the case. Okay. So. After So I want to stop with yeah. the plane thing real quick here. Yeah, yeah. This plane is interesting. So you see Margaret saw the plane and Alice saw the plane. Where's this plane coming from? It's why, a glitch. Why is this plane in here? It's a glitch. It's the same thing as like her brain showing her flashes of her real life while she's inside the simulation. Mm-hmm. Right? Like... It just seems weird that they both saw the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the significance of the plane is, but it's pretty cool, I think, that they both saw the same thing because it means that either there is a rogue programmer involved in the whole Victory Project mm-hmm. or there is some sort of like AI that's becoming sentient okay. involved in this whole thing. To that, me, anyway, that's how I That's think. what I was starting to wonder was... By the time I was done watching this and starting to think back on it, not at yeah. the time. At the time, I was not really thinking much of it because it's just a plane in the sky. You yeah, don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. But I was starting to wonder if somebody placed it there to either mess with these people or to try and do what happened is try and get some of these people out of there. I like to think of it as a disgruntled, victory programmer who decided they're going to shut the whole thing down and maybe this was somebody that frank promised would be able to be part of it and then he took that back mm-hmm. and he's like and the person's like well fuck and used off his then. likeness like, as the bus driver right yeah yeah right <laughs> oh that would be oh that would be horrible right? oh that would be cool because then then you then the bus driver's look means something completely different at the end or <laughs> yeah, at the end right. of that kind of interaction right <laughs> Hmm. This is another part where we get a clue that this is not the 1950s. She doesn't say, let go of me when the men in red grab her. She says, get off me. That's not how they talked in the 1950s. Get off me is a more modern way of saying, let go of me. She says, get off me a bunch of times. And that was another clue for me. Okay, this is not the 50s. This is some sort of simulation. This is something strange that's... That's not real. This is not a real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Jack says that, you know, Margaret fell. She, she didn't She didn't kill herself. He starts completely gaslighting Alice 
about I what actually happened. I have a note like that. Yes, there's yeah. a lot of gaslighting going on here. Oh, yeah, this here. whole <laughs> movie is about gaslighting. Yeah. The, the rest of the town, including the doctor, who is the person that... It's, he, the doctor is kind of the control program for, like, everything. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the one that keeps all of the CGI versions of these people in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the doctor says, you know, look, that's not what happened. I examined her. I know that she's fine, that she just, you know, she fell, you know. It's it's not that she killed herself. She's alive. She's well, right? Mm-hmm. And then he tries to give Alice prescription drugs. Now, my question is, yeah. what does that do if this is a simulated person? What does prescription drugs do in this? Well, I'm sure that just there's... Just for a... the look of it, or I don't know. No, I'm sure that... It, I. I I don't, I think that, you know, because in, in, okay, so in a video game, like let's say you're playing a video game, if your character, you know, does something, interacts with something in a certain way, that you, you expect there to be a certain result. So if she is given these meds and she knows, okay, well, if I take these meds, then I'm going to be better, then like the program version of her kind of knows that that's how you that that's how you hmm. get better, quote unquote. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, sure. I don't know. It just seems like there's a layer of authenticity to this CGI world. It's just like in the Matrix, mm-hmm. right? Where we're like in the Matrix, you know, Keanu Reeves's character, it goes to a goes to a a rave where people are obviously taking drugs, mm-hmm. but they're not real people, and that's not real drugs. Mm-hmm. But the simulation is such sure. that okay. it needs it to look like that. Do you know what I mean? Sure. That's kind of the way I took this. Like, it wasn't that the drugs were actually going to do anything, but it's supposed to be this way. You're supposed to take these drugs. Okay. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that Frank kind of backed her up on this and said, no, she doesn't need those. Yeah. Even though he's the dick bag that got her in this situation anyways. <laughs> oh, but he did it for her. We'll find that out later. Yeah. Yeah. So Alice starts to become more and more paranoid, more and more confused about what's going on. And then there is a big birthday party, or not a birthday party, it was just a victory event. Yeah, like some, some kind big of event. Big party, I thought it was a yeah. birthday party at first, but it's not a birthday party. No. I thought it was Frank's birthday party. But they go to this thing, Frank gives Jack a promotion, and Alice has this breakdown in the bathroom. And tries to explain everything to Bunny, but Bunny's like, no, 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 no. You're being selfish. You can't you can't do this. Now, interesting thing about the party. There is a band at the party, and the band is called the Dollhouse Brass Band. This is where I want to get into the dolls, a doll's house. A doll's house is a play by Heinrich Ibsen, and it is written in the or it was written in the late 1800s, 1879, 1880, something like that. It is considered a heavily feminist play about a woman who is unsatisfied in her life. She is beset by a husband who has these wifely expectations of her. It's It's about an awakening of a middle class housewife to the idea that she doesn't need a man to live her life. She doesn't need a man to tell her 
what her place in the world is. Sure. So, again, they put it right there in front of you. And if you're familiar with it, you make the connection. I made the connection because I've read the play. I've seen the play. But this is kind of the same thing. Alice is kind of having an awakening. She's starting to realize that she doesn't need this character because there's a whole other world that she had before she was inside the victory program. But anyway, that I wanted to point that out because that was one of those things that, that jumped out to me. Dollhouse? Brass band? That's right there. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, Alice and Jack invite the neighborhood over to dinner. Bunny and her her husband are not going to come because Bunny is mad, I guess, at Alice at this point. We're going to find out that it's actually not that. We're going to find out that actually it's because Bunny knows what the hell, what the hell's going on. But in reality, Olivia Wilde needed to direct the scene, so she's not invited. <laughs> no way. No, because she directs other scenes that she's in. She does. She does. But it was mentioned in one of the interviews that I read that it was easier for her to be off screen. And they had it. It was in the script, basically, written. So they were not getting along. So she wouldn't necessarily have to be at the dinner scene. Interesting. Okay. I watched I watched a whole inter- like 15-minute interview where Olivia Wilde breaks down this scene only. Oh, interesting. So she really goes into a lot of depth about this scene. So I think for her, this was a very, very, and it is an important scene in yeah, the movie. Definitely. So this was very important. So I think part of it too, with her not being there, was she wanted to get it right. So that's fascinating. I, I think that's interesting that she chose to to stay out of it. It shows a a level of or a lack of a level of conceitedness by the director thinking that she as an actor needs to be in all of these scenes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in, this is a terrible, a terrible comparison, but in say Rocky three or Rocky four or something like that, Sylvester Stallone needed to be in everything. And he was the director, you know, he put himself in there because that's what he, you know, he wanted to do. But I think it's, I think it's interesting that she realized that the story was more important than her character being in. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, I think it's really a smart, smart move by her. But, so everybody but Bunny is there. Frank and his wife Shelly are there as well. They come as special guests. And Do you think it was interesting, the seating arrangement? I didn't really Frank, pay attention to Frank that. Frank at the head of the table and Alice opposite him. That was kind of odd. Did Olivia Wilde say something about it? or No. Okay. But I did, when I watched it and I watched the, everybody sitting down... Mm-hmm. And Jack chose the seat to the side, and then Alice sat at the end. Mm. Typically, if I remember right, typically the ends of the table are for the men, correct? Or the hosts. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was interesting that you have Frank at the head of the table and Alice at the opposite side. Hmm. Yeah, that is is pretty interesting. I I think... To me, that plays like Jack and the other men are all subservient to Frank. Mm-hmm. They defer to him. So rather than Jack taking the head of the table, he would defer that to Frank because Frank's the one in charge of everything. 
that's kind of how that's playing, knowing or thinking about it now. That's Mm -hmm. how it kind of plays in my head. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's something more to that? I don't think so. That actually makes sense. I just, I noted it because I thought it was interesting that that they sat that way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely interesting. And it could be absolutely nothing (laughs) too. It's not absolutely nothing if it means something to you. Sure. That's the thing about art. Art's going to speak to everybody in a different way. And here we are, you're taking certain interpretations of something and I'm taking certain interpretations of, 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 of of the same product. So, I mean... It is what it is. You mm-hmm. know? That's the beauty of film and discussing film is that it means something different to everybody else. Everybody. So Frank kind of corners Alice in the kitchen and tells her, not in so many words, that she's right. She might be on to something. She's on to something. And so she basically tries to expose him during the dinner. Frank does a little gaslighting. He tries to make her look delusional to the other guests. And Alice basically challenges him in front of everyone. To the point that the his wife, the Gemma Chan, char- uh, Gemma Chan character, what was her name? Shelly. Shelly. Shelly says, you know, you're insulting. You invited us here just to do this. So they take her away, and everybody else leaves. So Jack goes out and talks to Frank. We know what they're talking about now, but at the time, we didn't. Right. They're now, obviously talking about, okay, she is coming out of the program, and we need to figure out a way to get her back in. Yeah. So one of the things while Frank is doing his whole gaslighting bit mm-hmm. is when you watch him talking to Alice... They will go in on his face and you'll catch him like glancing off to the side to other people. And he's doing that reading the table to see if they're following him or not. If they're buying, you know, if the other women are believing what he's saying Mm. or if they're not following him. And and, and at that point, he knows everybody's, you know, following along with what he says on there. So that so that is definitely an interesting thing. The other thing, too, I think is Frank what he was doing in the kitchen by kind of egging her on a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like he was maybe trying to get her going a little. I think he looks like at her as a challenge Hmm. as, you know, maybe somebody that can maybe push the boundaries and he's going to test that and see who's going to win. You know, I I feel like there's kind of a little tug of war thing going on here and he's because otherwise, why would he say anything to her? Yeah, I had no idea why he would. That makes sense, though. I, I have to agree with that interpretation that he sees. Maybe he's trying to see just how far she's willing to take it. Sure, yeah. And see, you know, kind of testing the waters of of the scenario, saying, mm-hmm. you know, to say, you know, okay, well, if she has her suspicions but she's not going to act on them, then we're fine. He's mm-hmm. trying to figure out maybe what the next step's going to be. And maybe that's why he's talking to Jack. At the end of it, mm-hmm. he figured out what her intentions are. Right. We assume that it's going to be that Jack's going to lose his job because that's what happened right. to Margaret's, Margaret's husband, husband yeah. is he lost his job because she went crazy type right. of thing. Right. You know, if you're not both all in, mm-hmm. you know, you can't work there. Right. That's what I assumed he was talking about at first, but 
we find out later that's probably not what they were talking about. No. No, not at all. So after everybody leaves, Alice begs Jack to get in the car with her and let's go. Let's get the hell out of here. And he agrees. And they go and they sit in the car, but he doesn't turn it on. And then the men in the red jumpsuits show up again. Mm-hmm. And they drag her away. He does seem upset about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out, is it because he's worried about his job? Is he worried about his wife? What's happening? I mean, later, I think he's just a dick and I don't care what he's worried about. <laughs> but he, I don't know. He seems distressed by this turn of events here. See, I took that. I didn't know what to make of that at first either. But <laughs> after after the revelation, after we fi- figure out mm-hmm. what exactly is going on, after it's confirmed that mm-hmm. this is a simulation, I'm thinking to myself, okay, he was pissed because of everything that he's putting into this. And if she's not playing along, he can't stay there. And that's yeah. where he wants to be. Yeah. He wants to be in a world. We're going to figure it out that he wants to be in a world where he's the breadwinner and she is the homemaker. Because in the right now, the flip side is true. In the real world, she was a doctor. He was unemployed. She mm-hmm. was the breadwinner. He was the homemaker. Mm-hmm. He's terrible at cooking. That's why he not wants much her. of a homemaker. Well, but you see what I'm yeah. saying, right? Like this was, I think that's what I think was he was so upset about mm-hmm. it's not that it's not what's going to happen to her it's like his right. imaginary life is going down the drain right because because what's going to happen to her while it's horrific to the viewer he's already done it to her isn't real well the electroshock therapy is no, real ain't it the electroshock therapy is happening within the isn't it happening within the the matrix the victory thing I don't know. I thought that she was out and they were putting her back in, like reprogramming her back in. But it could be it was just all in the simulation. See, I took it as it was all in the simulation because as they're doing it, as they're doing the electroshock thing, she's having flashes of the real world. Because when we see her later, she's just laying in a bed with like this high tech, you know, goggles that are like lasering information into her eyes. Right. I mean, that's it. That's all there is to mm. it out there. Uh, yep, yep. That, so that very t- well could be. Yeah. I took this as it all happened within the world, and it was just like the drugs. It's meant to realign her with her version of the world that she lives in. And who knows? Maybe there's actually some electrical things hooked up to her body when she's laying there. And as they're doing it in the simulation, it's actually happening to her. I mean, it is possible. That's possible. Sure. I would think, though, that they wouldn't want to do that to her real body because that might shock her out of the situation. So after the electroshock therapy... Or during the procedure, she sees these visions of of her other life. She sees herself as this doctor, Mm -hmm. as this doctor who works like 20 hours a week and... 20 hours a day. 20 hours a day. Yeah, Yeah, she's so busy, you guys. But, and then Jack is unemployed and, you know... Kind of a whiny little bitch. Yeah, he is kind of a whiny little punk, isn't he? He he just... I was really turned off by... I mean, he's at home... It's late. He says, I'm hungry when she gets home. Is he expecting her after this long shift to make dinner for him? (laughs) 
get up and make it yourself, man. I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. This guy is terrible. Yeah. But then we also get to see, because she's going to keep having these flashbacks after this. Mm-hmm. You know, she goes yeah. back to Jack, but she keeps having these flashbacks. And she's, you know, she's she's struggling at this point to be like, oh, I'm still the perfect housewife, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But she keeps having these flashes. And it's when he starts humming this tune again mm-hmm. that really starts to kick back on her. What's going on? She figures out that victory was a simulation that Frank, not Frank, Jack found on the internet. Mm-hmm. Frank put this ad out that said, you know, hey, you know, you can, you, we can live in a perfect world. We can have things. We can, gonna go there. We can make America great again by living within this simulation where women are women and men are men and women do women things and men do men things and men are the breadwinners and women are the ones that sit at home and clean the toilets. And this appeals to him because he is basically a failure. He sits at home and does nothing all day and whines and bitches to her when she comes home after working 40 this or 20 hours in a day. This whole thing was just making me angry while I was watching <laughs> this. I was just like, I despise this yeah. man. He is, and I'm, and that's the point, but right. just terrible human being. Right, yes. So Jack realizes at this point, computer simulation Jack realizes at this point that she knows what was going on. Mm-hmm. And he decides he's going to try and gaslight her again. He says he was doing it for her because she was miserable, because she was working all the time. And she says something to the effect of, it was my life. Mm-hmm. You can't just take my life. Mm-hmm. And and he's dismissing the fact that she liked her job. Right, and yes. Even though dis- she was yeah, working well, a lot, she enjoyed what she was doing. It was right. important to her. And he because she wasn't there for him, he's... Saying she wasn't happy. Well, it, ah. that's not what was going on. Ah. He's the one that wasn't happy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's this awakening. It's this dollhouse awakening. Now, it's going to go really dark. But when, you know, he, he basically he basically stole her agency. He took away, like, every bit of, like, Everything, who she was, yeah, who she was, her behaviors, her personality, everything was gone. Everything is gone and replaced with this 1950s housewife version Mm -hmm. that he wants. Yeah. You know, divorce is probably cheaper than paying to be in this victory simulation because he says, you know, I go, I leave every day to go work at a shit job just to make enough money for us to stay in this simulation. Yeah. Yeah. You could just get a divorce and find somebody that wants to be that way. I yeah. Don't, I don't even, I don't, I hope there's not people that want to be that way, but oh, let's face facts. I'm sure there's plenty of them. In this movie, we find out there is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And in fact, well, let's get, to, okay, we'll get to that Keep in a going. second. Yep. But so Jack tries to get her to forgive him. She, he like hugs her and then he tries to strangle her. Mm-hmm. But she's not having any of it. So she takes a, like a glass, like a, like a cup, like a glass mm-hmm. cup and smashes him alongside the head and kills him, kills a simulation version of him. But I don't know. Does he die in real life? Yeah. They, oh, that's right. That bunny yep. says, if you die in here, you're dead in real life. Yeah. If the men die here, they die in real life. But the women, 
Did you notice that she only said, if the men die here, they die in real life? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Hmm. She doesn't say anything about the women, only the men. So I wonder what happened to Margaret then. I don't know. She would have died in that simulation. Yeah. Well, if she sliced her neck open and jumped off of a roof, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty dead. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if that's intentional, that it would be only the men who die in real life if they die in the simulation. Anyway, so Frank finds out that Jack dies and he sends his men to go after Alice. But Bunny shows up first and tells Alice that she knows that victory is a simulation. She wants to be there. This is what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. She wants to be there because she can be with her kids. Her kids in real life died, but they're in the simulation. Mm-hmm. So there's something there for her. There's a reason for her to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but she says, you you have to leave. You got to go. Go. Run. Get to headquarters and get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Just get the hell out. The other wives are starting to realize what's going on. The husbands are starting to panic. Alice takes Jack's car and heads towards headquarters. She's chased by the men in the red overalls in multiple vehicles they she outwits them they end up crashing into each other but then they're still chasing there's still more of them chasing her she ends up spinning her car out on this path up to headquarters which is kind of this circular path up this like small hill mm-hmm. and she and this is another reason why i think these these men in red in red overalls are simulations and not real people when she realizes that, oh, this might block them, she gets a little further up. And then when she looks down, she sees that they have gotten out of their vehicles and they're climbing up the rocks. Mm-hmm. Effortless. effortless it is a simulation, though. So even if it was a real person out in the real world, they could still possibly do that. But they're acting in unison. They're acting like a one, like a hive mind. Like yeah. the Agent Smiths mm-hmm. were acting. Yeah. That's, why yeah. I, that's what makes me think okay. that they're simulations. Yeah, that makes sense. So she... Let's see. While all this is going on, Shelly stabs her husband. She stabs Frank. I was a little confused by this because... It felt like she was in on it, right? Yeah. She stood up for him. I felt like she was part of this whole thing. I don't understand this. Yeah, I don't know. It's not really explained very well. We just know that... I feel like she's doing a power grab here. Like she's... It, yeah, it almost feels like that, right? Like, like she's, she's going to be in charge She's going to be in charge now. Yeah. That's how I read it. Yeah. I really wasn't expecting her to turn on him like that. Because there's no lead up to it. I feel yeah. like it's not earned. No. There's no explanation for it. And Mm-mm. it just kind of happens. Yeah. I think it might have been a little bit more effective if it had been some of the other wives turning on their husbands rather than Shelly turning on Frank. You know what I mean? And I would say that that's one of my criticisms of this, of the denouement of this movie in that, or denouement, the climax of this movie in that the, in that that is not earned and there's just no reason for it to be in there. Right. It's not explained at all. It feels like Frank needs to have his comeuppance. The audience needs closure or something. Yeah. I feel like I would rather have the, I would rather they not even bother with Frank mm-hmm. because honestly, 
if the simulation ends, if she gets out and the simulation's over, there is no Frank anymore. Not in the not in that world. In right. the real world somewhere. Right. But although he could always do it again. So yeah, this kind of gives you the whole yeah. finality of if you die in the real world, if you die in here, you die in the real world. So Frank can't do this again, mm-hmm. I guess. There's just no build up to it. I think that it felt, like I said it before, it just felt, it felt a little unearned. Yeah, because to me, I read it that Shelly was kind of in on it. Yeah. And that she was okay with it. Yeah, and it always felt that way because yeah. of the way, like you said, she defended him. She got up, she got upset that she, that he was being attacked. It felt like she was all in, like mm-hmm. you said. So, yeah. yeah. Well, while this is all going on, while, while, while Alice is, or not Alice, while Frank is getting stabbed, Alice makes it to headquarters and she gets like, I don't know, a hologram that it's Frank saying, you need to stay. Mm-hmm. And she's like, fuck all that. And she rushes at the window and narrowly avoids the men in the red overcoats mm-hmm. or red overalls, I should say. And then the screen goes black and we hear Alice breathing like like a gasp of air like <gasps> like that or something along those lines and that's it that's the end of it so i have a couple of things i wanted to say harry styles is a terrible actor <laughs> well he is a musician not all musicians are actors <laughs> i i i appreciate that he's working that's great he's doing you know he's, he's giving it his all he needs to go to a couple more classes before he jumps into this again because he does not have the dramatic chops for this. I worry about the MCU. He's in as Adam Warlock. I don't know that I like this now, but here we are. <laughs> Maybe he'll get some pointers or something before they get too far into that. Maybe James Gunn will get a good performance out of him. Yeah. Who the hell knows? He could. The other thing I wanted to point out is when she's on the trolley, there is a, there's a sign like almost every window and it says what you do here, what you see here, what you hear here, let it stay here. Is that what that thing said? I tried reading it several times and I'm like, it was just, I, it was too fast. I couldn't read it. I, I, I paid very close attention to it. When I saw it the first time, I was like, okay, there's something on there. And then when they were on the trolley again, or she was on the trolley again, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to piece this together. And that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any other notes? Do you have any other, well, I know there's alternate casting. So yes, I, I have this. some alternate casting, but one thing we didn't talk about mm. was there is a pregnant woman in here. And I, it bothered me through the whole thing because she was always drinking alcohol. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It it's doesn't matter. By the time we're done, it doesn't matter. But right. again, maybe something you could have picked up on, like, would she really be drinking all this alcohol? But then it was <laughs> the fifties too. So I thought, well, maybe it was okay back then. I don't know. Who knows? All right. So alternate casting. So the first one I'm gonna talk about. There was a lot of upheaval behind the scenes. There's been a lot of behind-the-scenes drama with this movie, yeah. with casting things, other stuff happening. I I watched a really interesting interview between Olivia Wilde and Kelly Clarkson. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Clarkson brought it up about all this drama. And her point was, it's interesting because drama like this happens in all sorts of movies, but for some reason, for you as a woman... This was made 
way out of proportion. See, and I brought that up when we were talking about we were going to watch this, that they were going to make a big stink out of this because she's a woman. And so I I thought that was important to think about yeah. because this does really happen a lot where you have stuff happening. Oh, God, all the but time. But it doesn't make the news like no. this did. This yeah. was This was very heavy. I mean... I don't watch a lot of the behind the scenes news ahead of time. It's usually after we watch the movie, then I'll start looking for stuff. Yeah. But I was aware of this well before the movie came out. Yeah, I mean, because this was, this was talked about a lot. Yeah. So absolutely. So unfortunately for Olivia Wilde, and I don't know her personally. I don't know if she's a good person, bad person. I don't think it matters. I think she kind of got a raw deal with how the press and dealt with the news, I guess, on all this. I mean, I'd have to agree. It, it's It's really kind of stupid that they even make this a big deal like like you said it happens all the time mm-hmm. so why is this a big deal now well we all know why it's a big deal now yeah well all right it's so important the... to, it's i'm sorry mm-hmm. i don't mean to trample you there okay. but it's important to remember that when she first showed up on the scene she was the she was kind of a sex object in house like she was like the hot young doctor that house kept like making rude comments too about like looks and all this stuff. Mm. So that's kind of the image that people maybe have of her. And maybe that means to them that they don't think that she's smart enough to, to make a film, but they did. Did they not see book smart? I was going to say she did book smart. And I thought that was, I haven't seen it, but I heard it was a good movie. It was, it was a very good movie, but I mean, I feel like people will get a, perception of especially a female actor that maybe they're just eye candy and they're not that good at what they do Mm -hmm. but so far two movies in as a director and she's done a bang-up job so they're gonna look for whatever way they can to Mm -hmm. try and knock her down a peg okay I guess. So the first alternate casting I want to talk about when this was part of the big hoopla was Shia LaBeouf was supposed Mm -hmm. to actually play Jack. Right. Now. He would have been a much better. I think he would have been a much better. Now, I've heard that he's got his own whole set of problems and not always great to work with. He's a psycho. But he, he can be good when he turns it on, I think. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But. Okay. I'm going to invoke Kubrick here. Stanley Kubrick abused the shit out of Shelley Duvall during The Shining. And he's a he was a brilliant director, but his methods to get what he wanted... Were horrible. Are, were, are horrible. Yeah. So if Shia LaBeouf's methods to get to his good performance are shit, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'd want him on the set no, either. No, if he's... If he's doing that to other people, then no, that's yeah. not okay. If he's kind of just internally just kind of hard to reach or get to, that might be something a little different. But if he's treating other people bad, then no, that's yeah. not okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. Dakota Johnson was supposed to play Margaret. Is but Dakota she had Johnson? To, she is, oh, what is she in? She's in that Fifty Shades of Grey movie. Okay, I would have never seen that. She's also in Suspiria. She was in Suspiria? She oh, wait. played Susie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, I know who that is. So she was going to be in this? Right, she was going to play Margaret, okay. but she had scheduling conflicts with a movie called The Lost Daughter that's 
was shot around the same time. I haven't heard anything about that. So that's another alternate casting. And the last one I want to talk about is Olivia Wilde was originally going to play the lead role. Yeah. The but she role. saw Florence Pugh in your favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, yeah! Midsummer. Damn right. And she said, this person's got to play this role. Good pick. Olivia Wilde is a good actor. I think she would have done just fine in this role, but I think Florence Pugh is on another level when it comes to like this. I think that I think that this 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 character required a certain level of of like being lost. Do you know what I mean? Like she needs to have it all together, but also be lost. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things about her character in Midsummer is that she's lost everything and she feels lost, but she finds a place mm-hmm. in this whole thing. So it's kind of the same type of an awakening type of a thing in Midsummer in a different way. She ends up in a cult. But but in this, I think, yeah, I, I this seems this seems like a smart move by Olivia Wilde. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Florence Pugh is a fantastic actor. I think she's really, really good. I uh, I, I do too. I enjoy watching her. Now, did you uh, even, like her in Midsummer? I thought she did a good job in Midsummer, even though I don't like that movie. <laughs> I don't like that movie at all. It's just too weird for me. You fool! <laughs> um, I understand why people like it, and I yeah. understand what the draw is, but for me personally, that's not something I want to watch again. I didn't really care for that. Sure. But I thought... She did a good job. She sure. yeah, she was absolutely. very believable. You felt her grief. Oh, you yeah. felt her pain. She was great in it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Do you have any other tidbits of trivia of sorts? Not really. This is a new movie, so there's not a lot out yet. And not there wasn't lot. even a lot out in the interviews. I tried watching mm-hmm. for different interviews and... Of course, it's all the promo stuff, so they don't uh, yeah. give you a whole lot yet. So, yeah. you know, that's that's one thing with watching newer movies. It's tough to get some good behind the scenes stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, usually that stuff comes out when the DVD comes out. Or yeah. The comes yep. out before, okay. mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you. I just want to point out, I fucking called it like right <laughs> off the bat with this movie. I knew exactly what was going on. I don't know why. I think it. I think what it was is I had my suspicions, and then when she says "get off me" instead of "let go of me," I'm like, "They're not in the 1950s. They are in some other world. This is something else going on." Mm-hmm. My mind, for some reason, clicked straight to simulation. Maybe it's because I was just watching Vanilla Sky right before we watched this movie. That might be it because Vanilla okay. Sky is a movie about a simulation. Okay. That makes sense because I was thinking it was some kind of brainwashing thing or something. Yeah. I didn't go to simulation, but I definitely knew there was some kind of mind manipulation going right. on. Right. Yeah. Yes. Like, like, wow. That, like, just knew it. And, like, this one, though, here's the thing. The difference between this and The Sixth Sense is that The Sixth Sense ruined it with their own trailer. This does not ruin it with the trailer. This one, if you're if you're savvy and you pick up on it, then good on you. They're not giving you anything in that trailer that would give you give this away. 
Right. No, when you watch the trailer, you think more Stepford-wise. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. I went back and I reread A Doll's House Mm -hmm. because I was so enthralled with this idea, this this awakening of the, of the, the, Middle American housewife, I guess, but in, you know, and in, in, in that obviously it was a Norwegian, but a Norwegian housewife. But I went and I went and reread that. I didn't have time to go back and rewatch Stepford Wives. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to. I'm glad I didn't though, because I feel like this stands on its own two feet. I can feel those inspirations and kind of see where that's coming from. I see where she gets Truman Show out of this. I see where she gets you know Inception out of this. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of the the uh, the Stepford Wives and, and and a Doll's House in here as well so sure which big props for bringing a Doll's House into a mainstream movie because most modern day audiences aren't going to know what the hell that is and nor nor are they going to care right but I will <laughs> sure okay so if we don't have anything else let's do our thing let's do keep rent erase Jennifer where do you stand and why I've got this in my rent column. I what? don't think this is a bad movie at all. It's worth watching. Okay. I don't think it's a keeper for me because I think once you've seen it once, it might lose a little bit of its mystique to it. Although I do think watching it a few times, you might be able to pick up on some things that maybe you missed the first time. Like, oh, okay, okay. I see where you're going here with this. Hmm. Like you said, Harry Styles isn't probably oh the best actor in here. Yeah, really the best actor in here. That's a nice way of putting it. That's a real nice way of putting it, lady. That must be the Minnesota in me. That's definitely the Minnesota (laughs) in you. All right. But I don't, I don't know that I like it enough to put it over into the keep. And, and I'm, I don't know if I could put my finger on it exactly why, Hmm. but I think I'm leaning towards it might have something to do with the rewatchability. I don't know. I think it's a strong rent, though. I, it's a strong rent. Okay. How about you? This is 100% a keep for me. And I get where you're coming from with it's got this twist. And once you've seen it, the twist isn't ever going to hit the same way. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this movie hinges on the twist. I think what the beautiful thing about this movie is there is so much message in this movie mm-hmm. that as the more you watch it, the more of it's going to be revealed. Sure. And I think that that is the benefit of rewatching this film. I want to know. I don't remember. I, I actually I've never seen the DVD or, or Blu-ray copy of Booksmart, so I don't know if she ever did an audio commentary for that. But if she did, and she's going to do a commentary for this, I want to hear what Wild has to say. I'm interested in hearing her process mm-hmm. to getting to all this because there's so much to this that. That is more that makes it more than just the twist. It's definitely it, it has to end up in the keeper aisle for me. Okay, because, because I love the message too. Because okay. the message is great. This message of like, look, we can't go back. There is no going back. Yeah. We're we're not yeah. there anymore. Yeah, and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, it is good. It, it's just it's near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. So you know, my my bleeding bleeding heart, as some people <laughs> might say. But there we have it. Yeah, so keep for me. Rent for you. I can't believe it's a rent for you. Yeah, it's a strong rent, though. I did enjoy it. And again, it's hard when I've only seen these movies one time because you're just really going off of just one real quick gut reaction. Right, right. Where if I get to see them a couple times, then I can kind of sit with it a little bit more and really kind of determine, okay, this is something I will rewatch again or yeah, that's probably enough. I'm probably not going to watch it again. So it is a strong rent, though, because it's it's 
decent. Yeah. A lot better than, you know, it does. it's not getting great reviews, and I don't know why. Weird, really? Yeah, it's not getting, like, super high. It's probably middle-of-the-road reviews, huh. and I think it's better than middle-of-the-road. Oh, definitely better yeah. than middle-of-the-road. So. Huh, interesting. Interesting. I, you know, I see where you're coming from. And I and I and I have to put it in that frame of, you're the experienced person. I'm the person that's there to like dig. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you go for the spectacle, and I go for mm-hmm. the message. So I can see why this the spectacle was what it was for you, and there's mm-hmm. probably not a lot of rewatchability for you. For mm-hmm. me, I'm gonna dig into this, and I'm gonna look at for every little seam, just like I do with Kubrick movies. You know, like yeah. yeah. No, I'm not saying. Sorry, Olivia Wilde. I'm not saying that you are as good as Kubrick. Maybe someday, but this movie makes me want to rewatch it. Yeah. To okay. find that stuff. All right, I'll stop babbling. What are we doing next? Next week, we are covering the 15th anniversary of Spider Man 3. So oh, we're continuing God. our alien movies. <laughs> yeah. And vaguely alien movies. Vaguely alien movie. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to do Spider Man 3. Spider Man 3. It's tough for me. I just me. want to remind you this was your pick. I know. I know it was. <laughs> it was my pick. I couldn't I couldn't find anything that was 15 years old that that would fit well that wasn't already an alien movie that we hadn't already covered. You know, like we just covered an alien a movie a movie called Alien 3. I didn't want to do like Prometheus or something, you know? I, I wanted to do something that was a little different and Oh man, Spider Man Three is definitely that. Well, we are doing Prometheus too. We are, yeah. Okay, yeah. that was dumb of me to say, but you know what I mean. Like I didn't. So like, okay, I didn't want there to be three Alien movies in our Alien retrospective. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know why I picked this. There's okay. Truth be told, I just threw it out there, and you were like, okay, fine. So that's what we were doing. It was an off the cuff thing, and now I now I'm stuck watching Spider Man Three again. You'll live. Damn it all. <laughs> I hate that movie. You're giving away the ending. We haven't even done the podcast yet. I haven't seen it in years. Maybe I'll, maybe there will be different. Maybe I'll feel differently by the time I'm done watching it. Maybe you'll love it. It'll be like, you know what? I really underrated this. This I'll, might be one mm, of the best ones. I'll bet I didn't. I'll bet I don't. <laughs> I'll bet that doesn't happen. <laughs> Right. Well, I'm not betting money, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have money to bet, so there you go. All right, so next week, right here on the couch, we're going to have Spider-Man 3, along with Sandman, Venom, Hobgoblin, and somebody else, too. Partridge in a pear tree. Who's the other guy? There's another bad guy, isn't there? Um, Hobgoblin, Sandman. No, it's just those three. It's just those three. I guess you could even say Spider-Man turns into a villain a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, well, we'll see you next week here on the couch for Spider-Man 3. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, Please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.